Praise the Lord. Our training today is in truth and righteousness. We live in the eternal victory of Christ by surrendering to Christ. And still, we need to comprehend the tools that He gives us to survive the battles. And the battles could be many, but there is one war, and it is war in heaven. And by signing up with Christ, we are enlisted in that war. And that's true whether we like it or not, but believers are instructed to be wrapped in, girdled with truth and righteousness. And this applies to the way that we live. It it applies to how we respond to God's Word. It applies to how we share our faith. And it applies to how we proclaim our faith as believers. The entire Christian church celebrates three main festivals. There are lots of other things that parts of the church celebrate, but there are three main festivals that the entire Christian church celebrates. First is, is Christ's first coming. Christ's first coming. We call it Christmas, or many do, even though that word Christmas is not found in the Bible and He wasn't born in December. Those are established facts. His resurrection is celebrated also by most of the Christian church. But it's celebrated as Easter, even though this label is rooted in paganism. The Greek word that's translated Easter in the King James, and it only shows up one time, is Pascha, the paschal sacrifice, which was accustomed to be offered for the people's deliverance of old from Egypt. God said, put the blood on the doorposts and the lintels. The paschal lamb, the lamb that the Israelites killed and took that blood and put it on the posts and the lintels. And this was done on the 14th day of the month of Nisan, which was their first month of their year. And this was done in memory of the day on which their fathers, preparing to depart from Egypt, were bidden by God to slay and eat a lamb and sprinkle that blood on the doorposts and the lintels. And this was that the destroying angel, seeing the blood, would pass over their dwellings. And we know that Christ crucified is likened to that paschal lamb. He was slain during Passover. And that Paschal feast, the feast of the Passover, which is extending from the 14th to the 20th day of the month of Nisan, and that Paschal supper. Those are things that that word that's translated Easter one time in the King James Version, that's what that word refers to. 28 of 29 times it's translated Passover. But one time the King James translators made it Easter. Why? Why? I asked myself this for years. Why? Why is this not what it referred to? Because Herod was a pagan, and he would not have cared if it was the Passover. They killed Jesus during the Passover. But he did worship pagan gods and goddesses. Easter is a pagan celebration of the fertility goddess Ishtar. Ishtar. But it's pronounced Easter, not Ishtar. Ishtar, Easter. That's how that happened. 
And the Lord tells us, thou shalt have no other gods. This is number one of the big ten. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. This is what he says, very clearly. And that's why we celebrate his resurrection without the Easter label. If anybody wants to know, that's why. Because it's roots in paganism. We will call it the day of resurrection, or we'll call it celebrating the resurrection, which is biblically appropriate. But there's also this thing that's connected to Easter. It's called Lent. Even though a regular practice of 40-day fasting was not common in Christian churches until around 500 or so years after Christ was risen from the dead. Even though that tradition of Lent is not biblical, the concepts, the ideas of fasting, repentance, and prayer are biblical concepts. And this is why we will participate in those things. Fasting, prayer, these are disciplines, spiritual disciplines. And it's something that we do. And repentance, turning to God, changing our mind about sin. These are things that we do as followers of Christ. It's rooted in the Bible. I've been criticized sometimes for even following Lenten practices. I said, well, they're biblical. The third Christian festival that Christians celebrate <clears throat> is Pentecost. Pentecost is the Father's the Father's outpouring of the Holy Spirit of Christ. So I'm going to lay down the groundwork here for where we're going with truth and righteousness, okay? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now we recall and we proclaim God's outpouring of His Spirit because each of us as followers of Christ are promised to have received the Holy Spirit. The root word for Pentecost appears in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, Acts chapter 20, verse 16, and 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8. Three times the root word for Pentecost appears in the New Testament Scriptures. And it is Pentecost Day, the 50th day, the second of the three great Jewish feasts celebrated at Jerusalem yearly, the seventh week after the Passover, and it's done in grateful recognition of the completed harvest. See, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This is what our Lord said. The Holy Spirit enables God's people to accept the truth. See, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to override everything and anything that is contrary to the Word of Almighty God. We avoid temptation to follow man-made doctrines or demonic tra uh, traditions whenever they go against the Word of God. Those things that go against God's Word, we avoid. Now, He empowers us to receive the truth of God and wisely, obediently abide in God's truth. This is the work of the Holy Spirit within us, and it's a process. It doesn't happen all at once for some people. In fact, for most people, it doesn't happen all at once. It takes time. You break free little by little, and you start to say, wait a minute, everything I was taught, I was raised in a tradition that taught all of these things as if they were gospel truth. I believed them. It took me a long time to break free from some of this. And it's hard for me to preach this because I know some of you have never heard it before. 
And I'm sorry, I'm not here to hurt you. I want you to come into the truth. Because that's where the righteousness is. It's in the truth. The Holy Spirit enables us to live our lives dynamically in Christ by overcoming temptation to sin. And living in falsehood is the same as sinning. We must break free, especially in this time. Whenever we were sitting up here with the children, I said, tell me a lie. There's so many lies in the world, just tell me one. And there was a point to that, because there is so much falsehood in the world today, we don't know what to believe anymore. But here we have something we know we can trust, we know that we can believe, because God's Word is true. And we need to found our lives and our faith right here. This is where it needs to be, folks. I was choked by a priest one time. Some of you already know. You've heard me say this probably many times. Because I was speaking the Word of God out of the Bible to some other children that belonged to that church. He was the head guy. Chris and I were watching a miniseries about a nun that was murdered in 1969 and how the church covered it up. I was appalled. As I watched this, I was appalled. How could this happen? But that's what happened. And I was reminded, and all of these things were flooding back on me, and I was reminded of how nobody did anything whenever I was assaulted. And I thought, God help us. How many more? How many more? Are we okay, John? Oh, okay. I thought you were telling me something. That's why <laughs> I'm sorry. Praise the Lord. Okay. The Holy Spirit transforms believers from selfish and timid people into giants of courage and faith by His power. The word for power in many places in the Scripture, it comes from the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis. And I didn't put it up there because I didn't have room in my notes. I'm just going to give you a brief understanding of that. Dunamis. Power. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. It's spiritual power. It occurs 120 times in the Scripture. 120 times. Do you think this book is a book of power? The Scriptures tell us it is. The power of God resides within these pages. And the power of God resides within whomever will accept Christ into their lives. Turn their lives over to Christ. Be guided by the Holy Spirit. Be led on His path. We boldly proclaim the truth even when it doesn't sit well with everybody else. This is what the disciples did. Peter was that guy who denied Christ three times. He cussed people out for accusing him of knowing Christ. And then, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he became a bold one who proclaimed the truth of God. He told everybody, He's the Christ. He's the one. He's the one. He was risen from the dead. He's the one. He became bold in his proclamation of the truth. And sometimes it's hard for us because, after all, in our world today, somebody will say, well, that's your truth. 
that's truth for you. It may be true for you, but that's not true for me. No, the truth is the truth. And we, as followers of Christ, need to recognize that that's part of the assault on our faith. Because after all, if it's only true for me and it's not true for you, then what is the truth? And isn't that what Jesus asked? Or was that Pilate that asked him? What is truth? The truth is found at the very core of our faith in God's Word. And either we follow this if we proclaim to, or we don't. And it matters, especially in these days whenever truth is muddied. Then we look in the Scripture, it says we are to be girt about, girt about, wrapped with truth, and wearing a breastplate of righteousness. And that metaphor describes spiritual protection. Spiritual protection as part of our armor. Truth and righteousness are placed on us by God through our willing submission to Him, our obedience to God. That is part of the act of repentance that we look at at this time of the year we call Lent, or the Lenten season. Repenting to God, turning to God, changing our mind about what we believe and going with what He says is true. Truth and righteousness are placed on us by God. And I hope each of you leave here today, and I know this is a long introduction to a message, but I want you to understand, we need to have the foundation in place. This could be probably three messages in itself, but we don't have time to do that, so I'm trying to condense it down. And I hope you you leave here renewed in your desire to walk purely in the truth and righteousness of Almighty God, because it matters. I'd like us to read from the sixth chapter of Ephesians. And uh, if you'd like, you can open your Bibles there. 1801, I think, is the page, if I marked it correctly. I think I have it right. Chapter 6 of Ephesians. We're going to have it up on the screen there for you. And we're going to begin at verse 10 and read through verse 18. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, he's not just talking to the brothers, he's talking to the sisters also. Brethren is used to denote male and female, women and men, brothers and sisters. Finally, my brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and in the power, dunamis, of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And he doesn't say to do that daily. He says, put it on. He never says to take it off. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, the people that oppose us, they're not the ones that are actually powering themselves. They're being powered by something other than themselves. And he goes on to tell us, principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Does anybody think that we're not living in an evil time? Raise your hand. The days are evil. 
The Lord said they would get that way. The closer we get to his coming, the more wicked things are going to become. That's what he says in his word. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And this is the verse that we're going to focus on today. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Then I'll add verse 19, and I'll ask this as a prayer. And for me... Pray for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Though unlike Paul, I'm not chained. I'm not in prison. But I am compelled to bring you the truth. Pray that Almighty God would add His blessing to the reading and hearing of His Word. Father, please take a hold of me today. This is a particularly tough message for me, but I want to bring your truth. I ask that you would pour out your Spirit on each one within the sound of my voice now and later, I pray in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen. That first part of Ephesians 6.14 repeats the instruction to stand. 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 Remain standing. No matter what happens, stand firm in your faith. This is what he's saying. Stand. It means to abide or continue in, remain upright and active in the battle. You get knocked down, you get back up. You get knocked down, you get back up. You stand in the faith. This is what he's saying. These are commands. He is... At that time, to those people, he was their commanding officer. He had started many of the churches that he was writing letters to. And he was telling them how to get through it because they were in tough times. It was not easy to be a Christian at the time when this letter was written. Much harder than it is right now for us, although the people in China, I would say, maybe in Korea, Some in India, Pakistan, some of these other places, they're really going through it, folks. Stand. It means to be firm. Make firm. Establish or uphold or sustain authority. And our stand is to be firm and delivering the authority of Almighty God. It's to uphold and sustain the authority or force of Almighty God by His Word. Not my Word, not what I'm saying, what He says in His Word. Not what some other man said, what He says. What He says. And we've all learned to believe what we've been told. And there are these doctrines that have been put forth within the body of Christ that have us all walking in some form or fashion in a false manner. And that is not okay with Almighty God. He's made that clear to me over the years of time that He's used me in the pulpit. 
And this is always a difficult time. Whenever we come into one of these times, whenever people are expecting all of the things that they expect because they've been raised in these traditions, then I have to say, it's false. We've lost people in this church because I've preached the truth. I pray that none of you are offended to the point where you would leave, but that you would seek out the truth of God's Word. That no matter what, I won't stop preaching His Word. We're not instructed to enforce our own authority. We're not instructed to enforce our own kingdom rules. That's called legalism. We've discussed that before. We are not instructed to enforce our own regulations or our own traditions. We are instructed to preach the Word in season and out of season. We are to rebuke, we are to reprove, and we are to exhort with this. If it's not in here, and it doesn't line up with this, or it goes contrary to this, then we are to obey this above everything else and anyone else. In fact, that's the premise of the book that God gave me to write. There's no authority except from God, and we are to obey His authority above and beyond every and any other authority in the world, no matter what they say. Our Lord's instruction to all in followers is, is to teach everything He commanded. That's written in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20. This is what our Lord said, teach what I commanded. Teach them everything I commanded. And I've at times preached on this text, and I remember someone telling me one time, all you do is preach Jesus' words. Why don't you preach something else? At that time, I was in a series of messages on what He taught, because the premise of our faith is that we follow Him what He taught, not what I teach, what He taught. Christ is referred to as our sure foundation in Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. He's our foundation. He should be the foundation for all of our teachings. He should be the foundation for all of our doctrine. But unfortunately, the church was infiltrated. Righteousness and holiness are put on us by our willful submission to Christ as our armor and our foundation for our faith. We're strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Wrapped in truth, wrapped in righteousness, and those are of God. By remaining in Christ, we are protected from the enemy. Do you want to be protected from the enemy? Remain in Christ. Remain wrapped in truth. Remain wrapped in righteousness. And it's not yours, it's His. You put Him on. You submit to Him. You surrender to Him. Just like getting into a garment. I have to surrender to this jacket. I have to yield myself to it. I have to put myself into it. But nowhere does he say, take it back off. He didn't say, take it off every night. He says, to be in Christ, 
Remain in Christ. Abide in Christ. This is what His Word says over and over. We're strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Outside of Christ, though, we're vulnerable. And we're in grave danger, folks. And there are many people who claim to be following Christ who are in grave danger because they're walking in falsehood. And nobody's telling them that they're in falsehood. That's the part that really troubles me more than anything else because if they don't hear that they're in falsehood, they will remain in it. In Ezekiel, we hear God tell Ezekiel, you tell him what I tell you to tell him or I'm going to hold you accountable. And I take that seriously. I could easily skip over tough subjects like this. Not easily. No. God has shown me. I do what He wants me to do because that's what He called me to do. In the second part of Ephesians 6.14, we learn that standing follows the act of having girded your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And I want us to examine these pieces of armor as they were used at that time. And let's look at how they relate to believers, okay? The Romans used upper body armor that protected the heart and other vital organs from assault and damage. It covered the front and the back. They were completely girded with this armor, covered in this armor. And they didn't put it on and take it off. Now, of course, when they went to sleep, they did. But when we're speaking of spiritual matters, we don't need to remove the armor. We need to be wrapped in it and remain in it. The breastplate was worn constantly, even though it might not have been needed to repel attacks every day. So you can't get up in the morning and say, well, you know what, I don't need my armor today. I'm going to go out into the world. I'm going to leave Christ behind. No. We can look at that breastplate of old and compare it to the Kevlar vests of today. The Kevlar vests. That breastplate, that vest, even though it might not be hit with bullets every day, is worn every day. It's become vital to those who put their lives on the line. That breastplate of righteousness could be called the Kevlar vest of righteousness. Like it or not, believers engage in battle, spiritual battle, daily. Truth and righteousness are essential parts of the protection that we have in Christ every day against Satan's evil. The belt was a supportive piece of armor that helped to carry the weight of the breastplate. The belt helped to hold up the breastplate. And what he has his hand on there on the right is the two-edged sword. This was a hand dagger. This was a two-edged sword. And some of them had more coming down the front for protection of that particular area. And these belts were only for those who were enlisted in the Roman legions. At least that's what my research has shown. Having girded your waist with truth is a metaphor. You're not taking truth and wrapping it around yourself. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor that describes truth which upholds righteousness. It's not a thing to be picked up and put on. It's something we live in. 
It's the truth of God's word. It's the truth of Christ that upholds the righteousness of Christ. And we operate in this daily. The truth. And what do righteousness and truth protect? You see, because the armor protects the vital organs of the body. Psalm 51.6 tells us that God desires truth in the inward parts. 51.7 tells us that if He cleanses us, we'll be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow, yes, whiter than snow. Lord, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. This is what I want for all of you. I want you to be washed from the inside, cleansed of all falsehood, cleansed from all sin, cleansed from everything and anything that keeps you out of the presence of God. Whiter than snow. Think about that. The inward parts is a reference to the core of our being, our mind, our will, our emotions. This is our heart and soul, the very essence of us. This is where truth and righteousness must dwell. We must have truth and righteousness within us for us to be wrapped in it, to be completely enveloped in it. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, we read, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And the inward part of us, human beings, is the heart. That's what's protected by righteousness the very core of our being. Jesus told the Pharisees they make the outside of the cup and dish clean, and He wasn't talking about cups and dishes. He said, but their inward part is full of greed and wickedness. He was talking about the core of their being. And there are many who walk around claiming to be followers of Christ who are full of the very things, greed and wickedness, that Almighty God, through Christ, pointed out to those who were the religious leaders of that time. And any time you see religious leaders who are walking uh, one way and proclaiming something else, you have to follow the Word of God, not your own thoughts about who that individual is or isn't. Almighty God knows whether we're full of truth and righteousness inside or not. He knows. There is nothing hidden from Him. He says everything in darkness is going to be revealed. It's going to come into the light. The mind and the conscience are also inward parts that need to be protected. In his letter to Titus, Paul wrote, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. Even their mind and conscience are defiled. And in another place in the Scripture, he tells us that people's conscience are seared. It's as if it was sealed over. You think about a stake being seared. One side, the other and the juice stays in, but it gets this hard coating on the outside. He says the, the, the conscience gets seared. The truth can't penetrate anymore. It's a danger. It's a very clear and present danger. Christ's righteousness protects our inner parts from spiritual attack. The mind, the will, the emotions, indeed our heart, the core of the human being is protected by the righteousness of Christ. And I don't have another word that I can use for righteousness. 
Usually in my messages, I take words and I, and I try to find other words that mean the same thing so I can change it up. So you're not, you don't hear that same word over and over and over. Righteousness, 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 truth and righteousness, truth and righteousness. But this is a book of truth and righteousness if it is nothing else. God's word is true. And this is through our willful submission and obedience to Him that our inner being, the core of us, is protected. It's written in the Gospel of John that Jesus said, if you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But free from what? What does it make us free from? Error? Falsehood? Deception? You know how many times, and I don't have the, the figure in my mind right now, but do you know how many times it's written? Beware of the false teachers. Beware of the false prophets. Beware of those who teach falsely. Beware of the false teachers. Over and over and over we hear these warnings, and yet we have accepted doctrines that are false. They're not rooted in the Bible. They're rooted in something else. And anything that's rooted in something other than the Word of God is leading us out of the Word of God. And that's not okay, most especially in the time that we live in. We must stand firmly in the truth. Jesus said He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Are we in Him? Because if we are, then we're in the truth. We're walking His way, and we have His life. And that's eternal. In the fifth chapter of 1 John, it's written, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. We overcome the world by being born again out of the flesh, even though we live in fleshly bodies, our spirits are born again. We are renewed in the likeness of Christ. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And what does it mean to believe? Does it mean I just believe, I give assent with my mind? Oh yeah, he's the Son of God. Yeah, sure. No, it means you're following him. You're living the way he said to live. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Not falsehood. Truth and righteousness are characteristics of true Spirit-filled believers. Truth and righteousness are characteristics to reveal who we are to the world. And sometimes it's difficult. In Isaiah chapter 5, it's written, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. Do you see the connection there? Good is one thing, evil is another. Light is one thing, darkness is another. Bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to them. In John chapter 12, verse 46, it's written, I am come a light into the world. This is Christ. That whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Would not 
remain in darkness. Now, going back to the previous Scripture, we say good and evil, okay? He says, I have come as good into the world, and whoever believes on me would not abide in evil. Falseness is darkness. Falseness is evil. The night is far spent, it's written in Romans 13, 12. The day is at hand, and I believe we're closer now <laughs> than anybody even realizes. You know, with how rapid this whole thing came upon us in the last few years, I think the next one's coming faster. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Do you see the action in that? Cast off falseness. Cast off evil. Cast off darkness. Cast it off. Throw it away. Resist the devil. Let us put on the armor of light. This tells us, again, another picture of falsehood versus truth. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, it's written, This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is how much darkness? No, no darkness at all. There's got to be a little bit, right? Isn't there a little bit of darkness in God, Charlie? No. None. 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 The Holy Spirit completely regenerates us by infusing us with truth and righteousness. And that comes through the Word of God. He covers us with the truth and righteousness of God. He baptizes us. There's a word you might be familiar with completely submerges us in truth and righteousness. And He points out the error. And if God convicts you of anything, thank Him. And I've told people this in the past. I've had people tell me, I can't sit under your preaching. I come under conviction. Oh, that's God, and He's speaking to you because He loves you, and He wants you to turn from whatever it is He's convicting you of. That's how He works. That's His Spirit. His Spirit in me witnesses to His Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit completely regenerates us, and that's a process that some call sanctification. Or many do. We won't go into that. But the Spirit does the work. And we shun falsehood, and we desire truth always, because the Holy Spirit blends truth and righteousness into the core of our mind, into the core of our will. We will to do what's right by God. We want to do what's right by God. We no longer want to do what is wrong by God, or what is false by God, or what is leading us away from God. This part of the spiritual battle began when the serpent beguiled Eve. And we could take what he did and turn it into a teaching because he taught her, and she accepted his teaching, that what God said was not true. But what he said was true. He said, no, God's not going to kill you. No, he just knows that when you take of that fruit, you're going to become like him. And that's how he appealed to her. You see, we have something to gain from false teachings or else we wouldn't continue in them. 
Figure out what that is. He gave her deceptive teaching and she yielded to it. And so many of us, unfortunately, have yielded to false teaching unknowingly. We need to break away from it. And sadly, that spiritual battle continues every day, each time we're tempted to step outside of Christ and into falsehood. Every time we're tempted to step into false teaching or accept or remain in false teaching. Every time we step out of Christ into sin. The Holy Spirit's given to believers as a gift from the Father. And this fulfills prophecy. It also fulfills the promises that Christ gave Himself. Joel chapter 2.28 we're going to read, but Christ Himself spoke in John chapter 7 about that promise. We would have living water, would pour forth from us. That's a, an image of the Holy Spirit. In Joel chapter 2 and verse 28, it's written, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. I, God says, will pour out my Spirit. Is there anyone that wouldn't want to be filled with the Spirit of God? Purging darkness, purging falsehood, purging everything that's contrary to God. Because light cannot coexist with darkness. When the light of Christ comes into you, it reveals the darkness. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to us. Scripture reveals the Holy Spirit as a real person, not some faint or imaginary essence. And there are those, even within Christian circles, who believe the Holy Spirit is this essence that we can get in touch with. That's not what the Word of God shows. The Word of God shows the Holy Spirit's a real person. He leads us out of temptation. He leads us out of falsehood. That's who's working through me right now. I am not an eloquent speaker. God takes me and uses me within my limits to bring messages to all of you. And I trust that He does that because He loves you. Believers are empowered by the Holy Spirit to receive the truth of Almighty God and abide obediently in us. We are given the ability, the power, the dunamis to overcome falsehood. We have that power. Nobody can tell me, and I know from personal experience, and this is why I can say this, nobody can tell me, well, I just can't. I can't. I'm not strong enough. Pray for God's strength, because in your own strength, you're right, you're not strong enough. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome anything and everything that's false in your life. And I'm not saying that we all have falsehood in our lives. Please, don't, I'm not criticizing, okay? I'm asking you to consider the truth of God's Word to bear upon your lives that you would be cleansed, that you would be purified, that you would walk as if you were whiter than snow because it's His work upon human souls that makes that happen. I want all who hear my voice to be renewed in the desire to walk purely in truth and righteousness. That's the point of the message. And it's His. It's Almighty God's. I want you to stand firmly upon the foundation of Christ, strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And you're strengthened through truth and righteousness. I'm going to wrap it up. After all, it's truth and righteousness that gives us that safe place to be. 
We need to be closely wrapped in the truth and righteousness of Almighty God. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. Your Word is true. God, there's so much deception in the world today, sometimes it's difficult for us to recognize the truth. It's hard to know what's true. So many competing forces, but You tell us they're not flesh and blood, even though they're operating as flesh and blood. These are principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness and high places. God, let us be set free. I ask that as each one of us walks out of this room, this sanctuary, this place of worship, this house of worship, that You would show us, Lord, anything that's between us and You that we would, in fact, come to Your altar, be blessed by You, filled with Your Spirit, renewed in our faith, renewed in righteousness, renewed in truth. Help each of us to be and remain girt about with truth and wearing the breastplate of righteousness. We know that's the safest place to abide. So use us to Your glory, I pray in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Next week, we're going to uh, continue in our spiritual warfare training by looking at our feet in gospel shoes. And so I'd like if you could be here.